We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts, coming to you after the Timberwolves 134-128 loss to the Indiana Pacers on Wednesday night. And after going big picture after Tuesday night's game, um, talking about just life after the D'Angelo Russell news, and we focused a lot on Ant, big picture. For tonight's pod, I wanted to go just more game-specific. Um there was this was more more of a close game. Obviously, went into overtime, so there's things to dig into there. Um, but the three main sort of topics I want to hit on are the Jordan McLaughlin and Nas Reed pick and roll pairing um, has been really good this year and and just really stood out tonight. So we're gonna hit on that a little bit, um, and then also just Cat's commitment to defense this season. We're, we're now I think nine games into to Cat's year five. I think it's five since since he's returned from the COVID list. And and the commitment to defense is still is still sticking out. So I want to you know, talk about that a little bit. And I thought he had some interesting post game commentary that we'll get to. And then uh, I just want to roll through the fourth quarter in overtime. Just kind of what broke down for the Wolves in their late game execution in the fourth quarter and in overtime. So we're going to start there in the middle of the fourth quarter. And it was with seven minutes and twelve seconds left in the game that Saunders went to what he deemed would be his closing lineup. And it was an interesting one. It was Cat, McDaniels, Edwards, Beasley, and Rubio. And that's obviously noteworthy because McDaniels is out there. Um, tonight was actually Jane McDaniels' first start of his career. He started over Malik Beasley tonight um, because Beasley was benched to start the game as a consequence for showing up late to the Wolves pregame walkthrough. So 
So yeah, McDaniels, I guess, functionally started at the three, but then to close the game, he was in for Vanderbilt because Beasley, well, Beasley was in to close the game too. So again, it's Cat, McDaniels, Edwards, Beasley, and Rubio out there, and the Wolves are up by five, so they're trying to close out the last seven minutes of the game with that group. And the, the going with McDaniels over Vanderbilt shift really, it, it did help the Wolves a lot offensively. The the Pacers were, were in a matchup 2-3 zone in the fourth quarter, so... What that was looking like with Vanderbilt out there was, you know, he was kind of the guy in the middle at the free throw line against the 2-3 three, three zone, right? Like sitting in the middle right at the free throw line. And then with McDaniels, it really opened up and, and the Wolves kind of got rolling a little bit against that zone because they were able to spread out the floor. And and they instead of just passing it to Vanderbilt in the middle to attack the middle of the zone, the Wolves, um, the Wolves were penetrating to the middle with a, a ball handler. And they were triggering this with Cat and Rubio high pick and rolls, and it really worked. Um, they are getting clean looks for Rubio or for Cat, or they were skipping it to Beasley in the corner. And, and yeah, they, the scoring wasn't the problem. The scoring wasn't the reason that they lost the lead in, in the fourth quarter. The issue was was the defense, and, and that was really the issue the whole night. I mean, this, this Wolves team struggles immensely uh, to defend against screens, and if you've – well, if you watch the game, you saw that that's just what Indiana's all about. Um, you know, they just <laughs> they set a million pin downs and and high screens, and it's all you know that Brogdon Sabonis pick and roll game is their is their identity, and and the Wolves don't communicate well um, when they're getting screened, and that just leads to a lot of easy you know shots for the opponent based on you know communication breakdowns, and. And so yeah, it was Brogdon and Sabonis, and and they checked in at the same time as the Wolves went with their, with their closing lineup. Seven minutes left in the game, and you know from that point forward, every Indiana bucket was either scored by Brogdon or Sabonis, or triggered by that Brogdon Sabonis pick and roll, and that's just how the Wolves' lead evaporated. I mean, the Cat and Rubio pick and roll was doing well on the other side, but the Brogdon and Sabonis one was just outpacing them. So. That happened yet. The Wolves are still up by two with 38 seconds left. And this is when, you know, the the real sort of execution issue started, you know, to happen. Or, or you know, you, you shine a little bit more of a light on on a possession that just doesn't work. And, and yeah, so, there, so there's 38 seconds left. The Wolves are up by two, which is, you know, a, a situation. They have the ball, you know, should win that game. And, and what happened was Cat and Rubio ran their first real sloppy pick and roll of the quarter. And it led to Rubio driving into the lane and taking, you know, one of his mid-range leaner sort of shots from 10 feet. You know, those I swear those goes go in like 10% of the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just can't be the look that they get there. So that's a, you know, that's an execution error. I mean, that's a, I don't know if it's an execution error. It's, it's a shot selection error. I mean, you can run the high pick and roll with Cat and Rubio, but it, it can't, it can't lead to a contested Rubio mid-range shot with 30, you know, when it's the last sec- it's the last possession of of the game, or it's a possession you could put away the game with. And I mean, this isn't to take shots at Rubio's game tonight. I mean, he played well. I, I, I feel like every time Rubio plays well, you were saying it was Rubio's best game of the year. But tonight might have been Rubio's best game of the year. He had twenty. Um, he was three of six shooting from deep. But w- with Rubio, he just isn't a hot hand guy. Like just because Rubio's playing well in the game doesn't mean I think you draw up end of game action for him to, or he, he's not the guy you want to still be taking that last shot or that critical shot because 
ultimately he's just he's not a guy you can plan on being your primary scoring weapon so if the defense is giving him the mid-range there I think he either needs to pass out of it even if the shot's there or he's got a Steve Nash's way under the hoop and back it out but he didn't he he missed it and and that's kind of where it started falling apart I mean now the Pacers have the ball they go down Sabonis gets two free throws and it's a tie game with 11 seconds left I'm assuming many of you have seen uh, what transpired there for the for the Wolves. They ran the last play to Anthony Edwards, and he took a three that rattled in and out. And that wasn't the play design, as Saunders kind of told us after the game. I mean, Edwards inbounded the ball to Cat and then got it right back for a pick and roll. The Pacers switched it, and Edwards was Edwards was supposed to attack the basket. Um, you know, in a, in a tie game there, you don't need a three. And, you know, by driving – you can you can get one point you know you can you can either score the bucket at the rim or you can get get to the foul line and you know that's not what I understand we're not talking about this if if Edwards makes the three and it almost went down but revisionist history you know that wasn't the best possible shot that this team could have gotten just like the possession before the Rubio shot wasn't the best or even not even best but just a it wasn't a good shot and Saunders kind of described what the you know, what the plan was there and how they didn't necessarily get to it on that last shot with Edwards. Coach, uh, at the end of regulation, Anthony Edwards has that shot that just rattles in and then rattled out. Uh, did you like the look and did you think that he hit it? Uh, I mean, I, you know, it, it was supposed to get, we knew they were going to switch. Um, so it was, you know, a two-man game between him and Cat, And, you know, the advantage that, you know, we would have had, you know, we thought, you know, Cat could roll. The smaller guy down, we can get it to him in the post, or Ant could attack, uh, you know, a bigger guy's feet. And uh, you know, in in hindsight, I mean, you 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 would say, hey, let's get something to the rim, let's put some pressure on their defense. Um, but you know, we ended up, we got the last shot. I mean, it rattled in and out. Um, yeah, wasn't enough. Again, we're not we're not second guessing that play if Ant hits the game winner. I mean, <laughs> we'd probably go the complete opposite direction with it, and I probably you know when just praising Edwards for, for making that shot. So I understand that this is, you know, this is a hindsight 2020 situation, but, but what I'm trying to do is focus here on, on, on late game execution and, and how the wolves just kind of, why do the wolves continually seem to bleed away these games, you know, in the, in the fourth quarters? Cause this isn't obviously isn't an isolated incident. And it's, I think the answer is by, you know, in these situations, you know, they're getting 90 cents on the dollar every time. And and eventually when you kind of pile that all up together and you do that for you know a whole fourth quarter or overtime, you lose. That's, you know, that that's not enough. I mean, the Wolves consistently miss out on these little advantages late in games. And that's why, that's why they get out executed and lose close games in fourth quarters. The overtime was, was more lapses. And, and really in overtime, it was a lot of Malik Beasley who was, who was making those lapses, uh, you know, in both the fourth quarter and overtime, the Pacers really went at Beasley when they had the chance, you know, with, with, with Brogdon or just in, in some sort of screening action for Jeremy Lamb. And, and on the other side of the floor, like Beasley was forcing shots. I mean, he was making some too, but he was forcing shots. He admitted to that after the game a little bit. Um, but, but the real egregious sequence of errors, you know what I'm talking about if you watch the game, is – is was in back-to-back possessions at the end of overtime where where Beasley, you know, the Wolves are down by three. 
they have the ball and Malik just had a really bad turnover. And and the game wasn't over there, you know, what what the Wolves wanted to do was foul. And Brogdon had the ball and I mean I could hear it from my seats a hundred feet away. Saunders in the bench was screaming a foul and you know Malik got confused and he was indecisive and ultimately didn't foul and by that time you know too much time had come off the clock and the Wolves just tried to defend it straight up and so Malik's out there on Brogdon and obviously Sabonis is coming up to set a high screen on Beasley for for Brogdon and Beasley had another error he went under the screen which is a major no-no in that situation I mean Brogdon was six of seven from three tonight and Brogdon can the three because Beasley went under it. And that's just a that's just a killer sequence of execution errors. I asked Saunders about that last defensive play after the game. It looked like on the Indiana's last possession of of overtime that you were you were calling for something and it and it didn't happen. Was was that a, a double or or a, a foul or what what did you want there? I was calling for a foul and you know it, it ended up seven seconds passed by. And so at that point, you, you know, you make the decision of, hey, we're going to, you know, live by, you know, there's six seconds left on the shot clock. You know, it, it, it wouldn't have made sense to let that much time go off, but we're calling for a foul. These are the little things, again, that the Wolves team, you know, consistently messes up in fourth quarters. I mean, there is, there's a gap between what the coach wants them to do and what they actually do. And, you know, that's always the case in basketball. I mean, to some extent, on every team. This isn't a video game. can't press buttons and just control the players. And even if you could, you know, what's to say the coach would it, would always make the right button push choice to, you know, to make. That's obviously cert- certainly happened this year as well. Like, Ryan's had his own late game moments that have, you know, hurt the Wolves' odds of winning games. We've litigated those extensively here in the – the timeouts and some of the late game decision making, but I wouldn't say that was the case tonight. Um, I wouldn't say there were really egregious coaching errors out there, but that doesn't absolve Saunders from blame. I mean, at the end of the day, the players and coach work together, and the Wolves players and Saunders ultimately blew another fourth quarter lead because the gap between how they executed was greater than the gap between the Pacers coach and the Pacers players and how they executed. And that's how you that's how you blow a lead in the fourth quarter, and and you know lose to the Pacers in overtime. The brightest spots of the game, as I alluded to earlier, were the the Jordan McLaughlin and Nas Reed pick and roll pairing. You know when the when the Wolf starters were out and the bench was was really rolling. Um, I want to get into how good those two were tonight and and just have been this year. But first, we're going to take a quick break. What's up, everybody? We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know uh, great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up, for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of Pro Systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. 
You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual Pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, M-O-O-R-E-5-0. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, so I'm excited to talk about this because I was digging into some synergy stats during the game and I just got the new ones here after the game after it all up- uploaded and Jordan McLaughlin the 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 numbers match the eye test for how clean he's looked as a pick and roll initiator this year and I, I like once we start getting to this you know this time of the season where I feel more comfortable um, with using some stats to back up eye test right because we've we start getting you know a, a big enough sample where like Jordan McLaughlin has now played over 300 minutes this year so we can we can start looking at some some tracking data, some points per possession stuff, because there's started to be enough you know possessions. So for McLaughlin, what those numbers are is he's ran 119 pick and rolls this season that have led to a shot, and 40 of those 119 shots out of the pick and rolls have been McLaughlin shooting it himself, and so like a third of them he shoots, and then the other two thirds of them, 79. Um, have been where McLaughlin runs a pick and roll and passes out of it and someone else shoots. And it's, it's a real difference when when McLaughlin himself shoots, it's been bad 0.73 points per possession, which is 22nd percentile bad. But the two thirds of the time when he passes out of pick and rolls have been elite. And, and again, Matt, I mean, we're watching it. it. It looks elite. And statistically it is elite. Those 79 pick and roll possessions have led to 1.14 points per possession. And to kind of like contextualize this, I, I started going back to overall pick and roll numbers, you know, from last season. What what is what is the gold standard of you know of, of pick and roll play for you know for a high volume pick and roll player. And and Chris Paul was was that last year in the NBA for in, in Oklahoma City. He ran a ran a ton of pick and rolls, twelve hundred and and in those you know he 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 passed out of them 636 times and which his was about half and half half the time he shot half the time he he passed and in the pick and rolls that Chris Paul passed on he generated 1.13 points per possession which is actually a smidge worse than what McLaughlin has done thus far as a passer and I know I'm gonna go well you know that's that's Chris Paul that's a that's a full season and and for sure, that's true, but McLaughlin's sample isn't small. I mean, it's he's run a ton of pick and roll when when he has been out on the floor this year for the Wolves, and 119, you know, isn't small. And so to have, you know, it, it does mean something that McLaughlin is at that level of has been at the level of of elite point guards. I mean, I'm not saying he is an elite point guard, but what he's done thus far has been, you know has has been good on on decently high volume and i mean the 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 difference is why he isn't chris paul is because chris paul is just as effective as a shooter out of the pick and roll himself as he is as a passer so 
for the sake, McLaughlin is more one-dimensional, if that makes sense. He's just, you know, he's just smaller. He's got a little bit of a floater game. He's got some bounce, but a lot of time he gets met at the rim or, you know, just isn't, isn't the scorer he is. That's the difference between Chris Paul and Jordan McLaughlin, statistically speaking. But statistically speaking, J-Mac has been... J-Mac has been filling it up for his teammates and and Nas Reed has blown up, you know, in large part because of it. I mean, there was the first seven minutes um, once the second unit got in, in the, you know, the first quarter into the second quarter. Tonight, Nas had 14 points in seven minutes. And they were almost all initiated by McLaughlin on pick and rolls or pick and pops. And it's just, this is an isolated, is not an isolated incident. I mean, they're clearly a legit pick and roll duo. And they've clearly been the Wolves' best pick-and-roll combination this season. Which, you know, to me, begs the question of why hasn't Cat gotten rolling in the pick-and-roll this, you know, this year in the same way? So I asked Saunders about that post-game. Ryan, uh, with, with Jordan and Nas, um, you, know, you know, tonight and just this whole season, that, that pick-and-roll duo has just been kind of unreal um, in, in their effectiveness. And what do you – how much of that do you contribute to – obviously, it's those two, but – are they defending pick and rolls differently when it's Jordan and Nas versus when it's maybe cats out there or the, the first unit? Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's pretty, you know, they're, they're staying pretty standard um, between the two. You know, I think Nas has done, you know, a really good job of, of rolling really hard um, in, in pick and rolls. And uh, you know, they, they do, they, they do go under Ricky a little bit more than Jordan. And sometimes that does make a difference when, when we talk about playing in the pocket. Um, but, you know, we, we got we to gotta be a group that, you know, puts pressure on the rim. And uh, it's got to be, you know, from, from both of our bigs. Again, Rubio had a good game tonight. And the pick-and-roll game with Cat was actually good too. But that point that Saunders makes about teams going under screens against Rubio is an important one, right? I was, was glad to hear him acknowledge that and admit that because by doing that, when opponents do that against Rubio, the pocket that McLaughlin often uses to get the pass in there to Nas, you know, that pocket pass is taken away when, when Rubio is running it. So I, I do understand that Rubio is going to be the starting point guard in Delo's absence, and I agree he should be. I guess my assertion is that he's just not necessarily the best point guard option every night. And, you know that I'm not saying that means 48 minutes of McLaughlin, but you know, just watching McLaughlin work with Nas has me thinking that Saunders has got to try commingling the starters and bench at times. I think, I mean, I just think it's, I think it'd be pretty interesting to see some cat and McLaughlin pick and roll game together. And I would imagine the numbers would be pretty good if we got the chance to see it. Speaking of cat, I want to close on him. Um, when I was, thinking about you know just post game what i wanted to ask him about you know in the pod i was i was more thinking about this pick and roll stuff and you know cat's usage he just he, he there hasn't really been this balance of are we trying to get the ball to cat in the post or on the perimeter or you know how is he how is he getting his offense the volume you know just hasn't been there um and so i so i, I did ask him about it but as cat has just kind of done all year this year he he just always steers the conversation um back to being about defense because not that he doesn't want to talk about offense. I think his head is just like, we're going to be good enough offensively. And, um, you know, the defensive end is where the, 
you know, where they're going to make their money if they're ever going to be, well, if they're going to be good this year, if they're going to be good in the future. So I kind of rolled with that. And, and I thought I, I, I asked him about the defense and just how he does appear to be far more locked in on that side of the ball than I've ever seen before. So I think it turned out to be some of, you know, Kat's most sort of honest and telling comments about, you know, not only why he's playing better defense this year, but why he's so much more committed to it. This kind of turns into a little Ted talk from Cat, but I think it's like like two and a half, three minutes, and it's 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 worth a listen. I think that we're doing a great job of, of continuously learning and also going about it where if I'm not going to get the shots, we just got to play hard and we got to lock down on the defensive end. Um, you know, we – we just got to continue focusing on most important thing. Offensively, I know you've asked me an offensive question, but defensively is where we need to make uh, our staple something that we can rely on. Because obviously, like like I said, we're the youngest team in the NBA. We haven't had adequate practice time. We haven't had adequate games to figure each other out. But if we can lean on our intensity and we can lean on our defense, uh, the offense will figure itself out just because of the amount of talent we have, especially offensive talent uh, we have on this team. So then defensively, do you do you feel as locked in as you have on that end and any time in your career? I feel like just because I've been fortunate enough to have a second year with the same coaching staff, the same system, and because of my just getting older, just getting older, seeing more and more offenses, seeing more NBA offenses, seeing a lot of these guys multiple times. Uh, you understand little things that you may have not understood before. Um, and also, I, like I think you said, men- mentally, I think I've been more engaged and more focused on that end. And I just know with how young we are, it, it starts with me. It starts, you know, I, I you can't be looking, well, defensively, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. That's what, that's what losers do. You know, winners say, okay, well, I, well, what's the problem? Defense, we're not, our defense is not there. Okay, what can I do to help us be a better defensive team? Let's start with the person who's talking first, and then let's start trying to fix everyone else's shit. I got to start with myself. And defensively, I have to be more engaged. I have to be showing my stance better. I have to help the guards as much as possible. And during the game, I always tell our guards, and I tell uh, David Banner for our coach, we have to be in constant communication of what's happening. Because if you see something, I got to know so I can help you fix, alleviate that problem. And if I see something, I have to immediately uh, communicate it to the person so we know, so we're all on the same page. Because with a young team comes a lot of miscommunication. And we have, I got to do my part to alleviate of as much as miscommunication as possible on the defensive end. So there's always a constant communication of the defensive side, what we're seeing, what is the opponent doing, how are they changing up their offense to match our defense, to exploit our holes, how can we fix them, how can we cover each other on the defensive end. So, yeah, to answer your question, long-winded is, yeah, I'm more engaged defensively. That's where I really care about the most. Um, like I said, offensively, we're very talented um, in, that, in that aspect, but if we could get the defense right, and, and hold opponents to certain numbers uh, every quarter. Um, we have a great chance, great chance of being the team we say we want to be and growing. I think more importantly uh, is, if I could add one more thing, is the setting the standard. We got to set the standard and we got to set the culture of what the Wolves want to be. 
and we want to be what we say we want to be and we want to change the direction this organization is going and how this season is going it has to there has to be a standard and foundation set and i feel that the foundation needs to be more focused on the defensive end and the offense will take care of itself i've said that in preseason to you guys i'm gonna repeat it again that we can get the defense right we can be special and uh it takes all. It takes every single person in our locker room to choose to be special and want to be special. And these guys want to do it. So we're learning every day. We're growing every day. I'm not a big fan of uh, moral victories. You know, you don't lose and get a moral victory. I'm not a fan of that. But uh, you know, like KG always told me, if we're gonna lose. You gotta learn. I think that answer is meaningful. You know, for two main reasons. I mean, he starts off by highlighting not even about the defense, really, but he says he's blessed to have the same coaching staff and system defensive system for consecutive seasons which is yet again another full throttle endorsement of Saunders and you know if we're putting things together probably strong reason to believe that Saunders isn't going anywhere anytime soon but then too he also talks about how this team and franchise has been kind of shaky of late you know he's acknowledging that they've said they're going to be all these things and that they haven't been them and that for them to be those things that they need to defend, which is just accurate. I mean, not to like totally you know, go back in history, but that has not always been, I can tell you just from being there for these interviews for the past few years, like that is not how Cat has talked about defense, you know, in the past. It's in how he's speaking there is is an admittance of some guilt that he contributed well just one that the team hasn't been good defensively over the past few years and that he's played a part in it and that he needs to be more mentally engaged so as to improve the defense and and I think that's just right that's straight up accurate like I mean he he's he's it's so wise to say that a defensive standard needs to be set I mean, this group isn't going anywhere if it if there isn't a defensive standard set. So I just think it's very encouraging to hear those types of words and then, you know, also the action to back it up on the floor. I mean, Cat got cooked a little bit late in the game tonight. Um, you know, he's kind of tired, but his execution wasn't there the same way it was in the first half. But I thought his defense in the first half was legit really good, and I think it's been really solid on that end, you know, in – all nine games he's played in this year. And again, if, if there was, if we had one magic wish before the season, I, I don't know. Would have anybody said it, it was that cat magically become, would anybody not have said that it's cat magically becomes committed to and good at defense? Like, obviously there's a ton of baggage that has played out over the course of this year. And I don't know. I think you could, look at the year maybe as a whole as a setback but this feels big to me and and the reality of the situation has always been cat needs to defend better the wolves need to defend better to be able to be anything on a cat-led team so that's all i got for tonight i'll be back recording with Britt robson tomorrow afternoon so look for that episode with Britt in your feed late thursday afternoon um somehow uh, a ton has changed <laughs> with this team in, you know, I think it's been six days since Britt and I last chatted on the pod. So I look forward to getting into all that with him. Um, and then it's the Raptors at home on Friday night and Tibbs and the Knicks in New York on Sunday. 
So these games keep coming on fast, and we'll keep talking about them. Talking about them. And I will talk to you tomorrow with Britt. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else.